Our text for this afternoon's service is taken from God's Word as we confess it in Lord's Day 52. We will read the whole Lord's Day, but our focus this afternoon will be on the question and answer 128 and 129. And you can find this on page 563 of your books of praise. <clears throat> Lord's Day 52, question and answer 127. What is the sixth petition? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That is, in ourselves we are so weak that we cannot stand even for a moment. Moreover, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, do not cease to attack us. Will you therefore uphold and strengthen us by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that in this spiritual war we may not go down to defeat, but always firmly resist our enemies until we finally obtain the complete victory? 128. How do you conclude your prayer? For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. That is, all this we ask of you because as our king, having power over all things, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because not we, but your holy name should so receive all glory forever. And then question and answer 129. What does the word amen mean? Amen means it is true and certain, for God has much more certainly heard my prayer that I feel in my heart that I desire this of him. In our response this afternoon to the sermon, we will sing from hymn 63, the stanza 8. The sermon this afternoon has been prepared for us by the hand of Reverend Roddy Vermeulen of the Canadian Reformed Church at Addercliffe, Ontario. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's probably accurate to suggest that there's more than a few of us who struggle when it comes to our prayer life, particularly our personal prayers. Just you and God. We struggle to make it a regular part of our daily routine. We struggle to remember everything we should pray for. We can perhaps wrestle with the question of whether to keep petitioning God for something that he apparently isn't giving. Those and so many other questions and challenges that we have in connection with our communion with God in prayer. But there's one area particularly that perhaps tops them all. It's this. What's the point? Is prayer effective? And a subset of that question is, is God even listening? Does he really answer us? And with that doubt, those questions bubbling up to the surface in our minds, it's so easy to think of our prayer life as nothing more than a psychological crush, crutch to help us get through a rough time. Engaging in prayer makes us feel good. We've done the right thing. We feel better, at least a little, but we don't really hold out much hope that anything is going to change. I am putting it a little bit crudely, perhaps, but I think that we all understand. And it's not possible in one sermon to solve all those questions and struggles. But on the basis of God's word this afternoon, I hope and pray that the Spirit will so work in us 
that he will have the confidence to keep on, that we will have the confidence to keep on praying to our God, even when the feelings just described exist. Our theme this afternoon then is Jesus' instruction about how to conclude our prayer teaches us to pray every petition with confidence. We'll consider this prayer's closing doxology and a final word. So first of all, the closing doxology of the Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray every petition with confidence. As Christians, we pray. And what a blessing and a wonderful thing it is to be able to go to our Father in Heaven knowing that He is listening to us as a loving Father. Perhaps you are the sort of person who struggles to formulate a prayer. Perhaps for you, praying comes relatively easy. Going to God in prayer is something you do readily and frequently. Others of us, perhaps, find ourselves simply repeating the same prayers over and over again. Some of us, perhaps, struggle to pray at all. But irrespective of whether you are praying the Lord's Prayer or formulating your own petition as you talk to Father in Heaven, we all get to the point of our prayer that we must round it off and end it. We're familiar with a couple of different ways of ending our prayer. The one is something along the lines of, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, Amen. Or else, simply, in Jesus' name, Amen. The other is the one that is part of the prayer that our Savior taught, uh, taught his disciples. It is, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we round off our prayer, such an ending is most definitely appropriate. We call such an ending of our prayer a doxology. A doxology is really an expression of praise to God. For example, hymn 8, praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's one, boys and girls, that you all know by heart. It is probably the most well-known example of a doxology. Here's another beautiful doxology. More often, Paul ends his letter, or a certain section of them, with what is really an expression of thankfulness. It's really a wonderful outburst of praise. Paul has just been expounding on the wonders of God's sovereign election to salvation in, the, in Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11. He realizes what an incredible truth it is, and so he bursts out with Romans 11, verse 33 to 36, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments, and how inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor, or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. And it's like that when we pray, brothers and sisters. We've taken the time to formulate a prayer, even if we struggled to do it. We've laid our needs and petitions before him. Perhaps we spent some time in prayer, perhaps just a little time. But we realize that we are praying to the Almighty God, that he has been listening to us as we've uttered our feeble, sinful prayer. The Spirit has been interceding for us when we've been unable to utter the words. We realize that we're asking him much because we are so needy.
And so we get to the end of our prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And by ending that way, we're not just praising God. We're also acknowledging that he is our king and that he, having power over all things, to quote answer 128, is both willing and able to give us all that is good. <clears throat> but here begins the problem. We've prayed. We've perhaps prayed the same prayer many times, repeated the same petition over and over again. And then we wonder, is it really true that he is the kingdom, that his is the power, that his is the glory? Because so, we think, the evidence just doesn't seem to stack up. For yours is the kingdom, but is it so? We pray the words as part of our doxology at the end of your prayer, even while you know full well that sin is having a field day beyond the four walls of the room in which you are praying. You pray the words as part of the doxology at the end of your prayer, even though you still have a battle against sin going on in your own life. You express that truth, but in the meantime, the powers of darkness seem to discredit or undermine the truth that his is the kingdom. <clears throat> Think about what Jeremiah felt in the passage we read. Verse 2 of our reading, Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call on me and I will answer you, says God to his prophet. I am the Lord, the creator. I am the Lord who formed the whole creation, the whole of creation. I am the Lord, so call on me and I will answer. Well, let's put ourselves where Jeremiah is right now. He is in the palace dungeon, thrown in there by the king for prophesying that Babylon would make Jerusalem fall. The nation around him is falling apart because of all its unfaithfulness to God. Sin is clearly rampant. The pawns of the devil, the Babylonians, are coming to destroy the city of God, Jerusalem. And God comes to him and says, I am the Lord. I am the creator. Now call on me. From down there in the dungeon, if you and I were Jeremiah, we might be tempted to call up, yeah, right, Lord. Look at this mess. I can call on you, but can you really do anything? Because really... For yours is the kingdom and the power. Is it really so? Because once more, from Jeremiah's perspective, the evidence just doesn't stack up, does it? Or if we look at our world, our topsy-turvy world, where is the evidence of his power? We begin to ask the question like, if God has the power too, then why doesn't he? We don't see that power in action, at least we don't think we do. And both be told, the powers of evil and sin so often seem to have the upper hand. But with this doxology, we confess it to be true because we know it to be true. His is the power. It doesn't mean that someday God will get the upper hand, nor is it saying that God is very powerful, or even that he is at least more powerful than anything, anybody else. No, he is the power, 
The word that is used speaks of absolute power to accomplish anything that he wills. And then we add, for yours is the glory. But again, is it? Because what glory is there for God when we, for example, continue to struggle with something in our lives? What glory is there for God when the whole world seems to be focused on denying God's existence? You can put it more starkly than we, you can't put it more starkly than Isaiah the prophet in chapter 38:18. For the grave cannot praise you, death cannot sing your praise. Those who go down to the pit cannot hope for your faithfulness. But still, this is how our Savior teaches us to end our prayer. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Are you able to utter that part of the prayer? Is that doxology that springs quickly and enthusiastically to your lips given the evidence? Given perhaps your own experience? Given the world we are living in? It's here, brothers and sisters, that we must remember that this doxology is in the first place a statement of faith. We say this to God as we wrap up our prayer because we believe it. We don't go by what we see. We don't go by what we are feeling. We don't go by the news headlines. We don't go by our own interpretation of the current situation. But we go by what God has revealed about himself. That's the basis for our faith. That's why we end our prayer in this way. Because, think about it, Scripture clearly teaches God's absolute sovereignty over absolutely everything. He is the kingdom, is, always has been, is, and always will be. It's right there in the passage that Jeremiah, from Jeremiah that we read. He was in the dungeon. The evidence wasn't there for him to see at all. But what does God say to him? The verses 4 and 5. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the houses in this city, and the royal palaces of Judah that have been torn down to be used against the siege ramps and the sword in the fight with the Babylonians. They will be filled with the dead bodies of men. I will slay in my anger and my wrath. I will hide my face from this city because of all its wickedness. Notice that, brothers and sisters. God is saying what to Jeremiah? He is not saying, I have hidden my face from the city Jerusalem, and if the Chaldeans are strong enough, then I will use them to strike down the residents of Jerusalem and defeat them. No, his is the kingdom. He is the absolute sovereign control. It will happen. The Babylonians, the Chaldeans will destroy because God has determined that they will. What is more, our great and awesome God has the power to accomplish that which he sovereignly desires to bring about. Jeremiah didn't have to doubt that for a second, not even from down there in the dungeon, because not only was God going to use the Babylonians to destroy the city of Jerusalem because of its wickedness, he, in verses 6 and following, promises restoration. And we think, how is that possible? from destruction to restoration. To Jeremiah, that would, would have seemed so unlikely. 
If he was being interviewed for a poll, he would say, hmm, don't think so. But we're talking about the almighty God of heaven and earth here. Look at how God puts it in verses 6 and following. Behold, I will bring to it health. I will heal them. I will restore the fortunes. I will cleanse them. I will forgive them. There is no question here whether God will be able to. It is stated as fact, and Jeremiah and God's people are to accept it in faith. God is able to, no question of it. I will, I will, I will, repeats the Lord. And so we close off our prayer with confidence. When we begin our prayer with our Father in heaven, we in faith understand that we are to expect from his almighty power all things we need for body and soul. That's answer 121. And now finishing our prayer, we acknowledge that God sovereignly and powerfully is both willing and able to give us all that is good. That's question 128. <clears throat> we reflect then on what we have prayed for, what we've petitioned our Father for, and any shadow of a doubt that we had that our good God could not or will answer us in accord for his perfect will for us, with his perfect will for us. Any doubt we had has got to be gone, is gone. We know him as Father. We know him as a Father in heaven. We know him as the one whose kingdom is sovereign, 100% sovereign. We know him as the one who has power, absolute power, to bring about that which he wills. Then we pray with confidence, because notice that little three-letter word at the beginning of this doxology, the word for. It connects this doxology to the rest of our petitions. Why did I offer all these petitions to my Father in heaven? Because for, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Allow me to say it as clearly and bluntly as I can. Why would you even bother praying if this doxology were not true? We wouldn't. Why pray to one who is not sovereign? Why pray to one who does not have absolute power? Or to say it positively, I pray, I bring all my needs and petitions to him, everything, all things that are on my heart, all things that I struggle with, everything I don't know an answer to, my feelings of loneliness, my struggles with being overwhelmed with life, my deep concern about the direction of the society and the world and our world, all of it, every bit of it I take to my Father in heaven. Why? Precisely because he is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. What a God I am blessed to pray to. What a God. And so, I think about what I have prayed for. I've prayed it earnestly, in faith, and then I pray one more petition. It's this. Lord, grant me your spirit to believe with 100% confidence that if what I have asked is in line with your perfect will for me, or my loved one, or our world, that you are able to and you will grant it. 
And Lord, if I've asked amiss, or if what I have asked for is not in line with your will, grant me your grace to accept that, fully confident of your love for me, your child. After all I know, you only do what's good for me. You are my Father. Then we need never doubt the effectiveness of our prayers. They are powerful, for all our prayers offered to Father in heaven in faith are answered, answered perfectly. And then we reflect on that and experience it. And when we reflect on that and experience it, then what is your response? It is to praise him, is it not? When the doxology is not just a confession of confidence in the God we are praying to, it is at the same time a doxology of praise. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. See, that's why God answers, so that he might receive the glory. That's what God told Jeremiah, too. After all those, I wills, statements in which God promises the restoration of Jerusalem and her people, God says this in verse 9, and this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. And verse 10 and 11, in this place of which you say, it is a waste without man or beast, in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate, without a man or inhabitant or a beast, there shall be heard again the voice of mirth, and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's what praying is all about. It's about our Father lovingly working in our lives so that he receives all the glory says the Catechism in the second half of answer 128, and because not we, but your holy name should so receive glory forever. We pray all of our petitions with our sights set on God's glory, and with that as our spirit work focus, we pray confidently, knowing that he will answer, for his is the kingdom and the power and the glory. So confident then are we, that we even dare to say the word, Amen. That's our second point. The final word of the Lord's Prayer teaches us to pray with confidence. <clears throat> yes, we dare to say the word, Amen. More often than not, though, I am guilty of this too. The Amen is like a period at the end of the sentence. It tells everyone that the prayer is over, but does not have a whole lot of significance in and of itself. But when Handel finished, wanted to finish his famous composition, The Messiah, he didn't just attack the word Amen to the end of it over a couple of musical bars. No, he wrote the Amen chorus. All it contains is the word Amen and goes for some four and a half minutes. It starts off fairly quietly, 
but builds up towards a finish that is stunning. The piece, you might say, finishes with real conviction. And brothers and sisters, we are permitted, no, not just permitted, we are commanded to end our prayers with that same conviction. If you are familiar with the older translations of Scripture, you will know the expression, verily, verily, I say to you. It means it really is true, it is certain. The same phrase in the ESV is translated as truly, truly, I say to you. <clears throat> that word, verily or truly, is the word amen. When Jesus took that word on his lips, his hearers were not to doubt for even a moment that what he had to say to, to them was true. It was absolutely certain. Well, we are blessed to use the same word at the final a word as the final word of our prayer. But listen, then you don't use that word lightly either. Before saying it, it's good to pause for a moment and reflect. I have prayed. I have prayed a number of different petitions. And by finishing my prayer with Amen, I am asking God to hear my prayer. But more than that, I am stating in fa as fact that God will hear. I am confessing that he more certainly heard all my petitions than I feel in my heart that I desire them of him. It's good then to pause a moment and ask myself, with each of my petitions, have I sought the things that are above where Christ Jesus my Savior is? It is good to pause and recall before saying the final word of my prayer. My Savior died so that I can have a Father in heaven who answers my prayers. Given the price he has paid, I want to check that I haven't prayed anything in an offhanded or casual way. I pause and ask myself, have I prayed with a view to his glory rather than my own? Have I? Or do I perhaps have selfish motives for one or two of my petitions? Or maybe some of my petitions were flippant, not really believing that God could answer. Or maybe I prayed for something that I don't really want an answer to. Because if any of those things are true, then before saying this final word, Amen, I must go back and revise my petitions. And of course, we realize that even then, we cannot pray a perfect prayer. And so as we conclude our prayer, we need to call to mind these words of Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Then having prayed and knowing by faith about the intercession of God's Spirit, I can say the word Amen with conviction, with certainty. He hears and he will answer. There is no question of it. For his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In our response, let us sing hymn 63, stanza 8.